is in the wilderness, dead and gone. In a time of transition, in a time of upheaval, change, anxiety. The leader, the people of God look to. It's dead. It's gone. Where will they turn? With this setting, with this backdrop, fear, anxiety, the person they look to, the Lord says to Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Why? Because I am with you. See, the presence of God is with his people. Thick, thin. Times of constancy, times of transition. God says, I am with you. And it's with that promise, with that claim, that now the people of God are able to step into a new story, to step into a new journey. Analog. We're talking about tactile relationships, the physical thing, something that you can touch, feel that you've got to turn a knob or twist to get it to work. Not the digital where you've got to charge the battery, but the thing that you actually have to turn. What's interesting is as the digital age is upon us, things and relationships are changing. A recent study revealed that 25% of Americans admit not having read a single book in part or in whole in the past year. Not a single book read by at least one in four Americans. Some of you go, man, I devour a book a week. That, that, that is shocking to me. Some of you go, Kyle, I'm there. I haven't read a book since high school. So we're... You know, you're in that line. It's sad, but not surprising. But what's interesting is the effects that the lack of reading, tactile, physical books, reading long paragraphs, long sentences, actually has in our brains, in our pathways, and within our relationships. Thomas Pettit, a professor at the University of Southern Denmark, writes that the age of reading books is discernibly coming to an end under the pressure of developments in relation to the electronic media, the internet and digital technologies. This is a grim outlook. If we are really coming to the end of the age of reading books, if it is truly was a mere phase in human history, now being overtaken by the digital age, we are in very serious trouble. Well, I'm not anti-digital technology. I'm not anti-social media. But there is a very real connection that we need, a tactile analog connection that we need with God and we need with others. A researcher named Carr says that people who read linear text comprehend more, remember more, and learn more. And returning again and again to our digital slot machines, we are losing our aptitude for reading since reading requires an ability to concentrate intently over a long period of time. To lose oneself in the pages of a book, as we now say, and in losing our aptitude for reading, we are also surrendering opportunities to comprehend, 
remember, and learn the deeper, more complex ideas and realities of human experience. But life is deep and complex. So to lose our ability to engage in these ways is to lose our ability to effectively pursue meaningful, purposeful lives. This is never truer than when it comes to being a Christian because the Christian faith has been and continues to be anchored by the 66 books of the Bible. It is within the ancient text that we learn about a creator God, a loving Savior, and a wonderful counselor who let us know who he is and who we are. See, to get lost in the story of Scripture, to get lost in the narrative, is to truly find ourselves because we find a God who loves, who pursues us, and who has pursued you right where you are. The baggage you bring, the things you bring into the relationship, no, God has pursued you. And so we need the analog experience of reading Scripture with the Spirit. We need the analog experience of reading Scripture with the Spirit. See, our digital age, again, I'm not anti-digital technology by any means. I need to kind of reinforce that because it can seem like I'm kind of bashing that. I'm not at all. I'm grateful for live stream. I'm grateful for the ability to connect with people over text. But our values of the digital age, the values of speed, choice, and individualism rob us of person-to-person connection with each other and a personal connection to God. Because the speed of our digital age makes us impatient. We expect to th- get things instantly. The, the, the choice of the digital age makes us shallow. Why would we linger over anything for a long period of time when we can just skip from one thing to the next, endlessly being satisfied and entertained? The individualism of the digital age makes us isolated. We don't have to find community with others in real and sustainable ways. So as the digital age rewires us to crave the next push of the button or refresh of the page, we become increasingly incapable of engaging anything that requires deep, sustained engagement. We are consumed with what's next, what could be, or what isn't. And as that researcher Carr writes, What the internet seems to be doing is chipping away at our capacity for concentration and contemplation. Whether I'm online or not, my mind now expects to take in information the way the internet distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once I was a scuba diver in a sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski bouncing from one thing to the next, getting from point A to point B. We must rediscover what it means to be scuba diving, to be soaked, to be saturated in the Word, in the Scriptures, diving into its depths, rather than just jet skiing over the verses that that make us feel good. Because we know that while we're bombarded with little pithy images on social media with little sayings that say, be strong and courageous, you can do it. We know that only lasts for a little while. 
It's not a motivation or that can sustain. It, it's a temporary satisfaction. And, and you maybe can even picture some of those verses that, that you have seen on social media that, that try to inspire you to just go a little more. But it never quite lasts. And it leaves your soul wanting and longing for more. Because while we jet ski from passage to passage, looking for inspiration to inspiration, we settle for a truncated version of the scriptures rather than allowing it to soak deep into our soul. See, when you slow down with the scripture and the spirit, you'll be able to step into what's next. Because oftentimes we reverse it. We think when we get to what's next, then we'll slow down. When, when we arrive at the destination that we desire to arrive at, you know, then we'll slow down because then it'll be easy. It'll be convenient. There'll be less obstacles or difficulties. So we speed up, going from place to place, chasing the satisfaction that we so desperately desire. And we just increasing the speed, look for verse after verse, look for experience after experience, looking for, for, for entertainment to satisfy our souls. And we skip and we skip and we go and we go never truly finding what our soul wants. When we slow down with the Scripture, when we slow down with the Spirit, we're then able to step into what's next. We must slow down with God. When we slow down with God, we will be able to then live our faith every day. We will to hear his voice. The challenges and the choices we are facing. We won't have to do a quick Bible search and find a verse to just justify what we should do. No, we can be responsive. I think more than that. We can be strong and courageous. Because God is with us. God is with you. You're soaking in his presence. So if we do not cultivate the subversive intentional practice of simply reading the Bible, our understanding of God will be truncated in how we live out our faith every day. Because you will seek to justify your actions by pithy little statements or inspirational statements that can cultivate a level of faith. That some of you have experienced seeing a verse at the right time and minister to your soul. But if that's the only way that you receive the scriptures, you're missing out in an encounter. Because while we may desire to be strong and courageous and we want everything to automatically work out, we sometimes think that there won't be pain or trial or difficulty. And we miss the whole point of the story. Joshua 1, 1 through 9, saying, I am with you. My word is with you. Follow me. So there are many of us today who engage in scriptures as hunter-gatherers, quickly and efficiently flipping through the pages on the prowl. But as I had a mentor once say to me, you must dig deep wells because you'll be drawing on them for the rest of your life. In our contemporary age, we need to dig deep wells. Because as we're bombarded, as we're persuaded, as the access of choice increases, 
we must go back to this source where there's some depth for every and any circumstance. Now, one of the reasons why I share this with you is an overflow out of my personal story. I was around church a lot growing up, and I was told a lot of Bible. I was, I was said, shared with verses like, be strong and courageous. I was reminiscing with someone the other day about uh, uh, an activity called Bible Bowl, where you used to memorize sections of Scripture, and you could answer different trivia questions about the Bible. And so I knew a lot of Bible information, but growing up, I was never really shown the skills to be able to soak in the Scripture, to let the story of God wash over me, to shape me so that I could actually be responsive in any and any any and every situation. And so one of the things that, that I'm passionate about or that I want us as generations to be reminded of is that value story over sin. That the story of God which should shape our life, should, should root out, will, will root out sin in our life, but it also calls us up to who we are because of who God is. But in order to do that, we must have the skills and slow down to utilize those skills with the word. So I want to give us another practical way to simply be able to read and engage the Bible. This is one method that, that I will use. We'll walk through a series of five steps. This is one of the many ways that I help people and want to help you be able to actually just sit with the Scripture. I want to give you a tool for your tool belt or maybe a respirator so that you can dive deep. So we're going to go on like this journey so that you can linger over the Scripture for a while. And we're going to use Joshua 1, 1 through 9. So step one as you engage the Scripture. What did the text mean to the biblical audience? We must grasp what the author was saying to the people where they were when they were. See, the Lord commanded Joshua, the new leader of Israel, to draw strength and courage from God's empowering presence. Moses is dead. Okay, turn to your neighbor. Say Moses is dead. We got it. Moses, we got it. We got it. Moses is dead. So, so there's a new leader stepping into this. It, Moses is dead. That, that's a big deal because the person that the people looked to was no longer there. So where would the people turn? They were to turn to this, to Joshua, to reiterate that God's presence is still with them. God's empowering presence is still with them because they had refused to enter the promised land before. They refused to be obedient to the law, to meditate on the law. And God was challenging Mo Joshua and the community to be responsive to God and the law so that they would be successful in the conquest of entering into the promised land. So that's then. We got us go on this journey. So step two, what's the difference between the audience, the biblical audience, and us? So first off, a little bit of obvious. We are not leaders of Israel. We're not about to enter the promised land. We're not sitting in the Middle East. We're not under the old covenant of the law. We're not required to make sacrifices or follow the law of Moses. So once we kind of size that up, make some obvious statements of some of the differences or maybe not some so obvious statements, 
Maybe you're, you didn't recognize the difference, but that's what we do is we recognize them, we recognize where we're at, and then we cross the principal eyes and bridge. We take a step three. What is the principle of this text? If we had to sum up Joshua 1, 1 through 9, what is the author trying to say? What is he trying to help us understand? And I always like to say, if you can sum it up in a single sentence, just a general principle, it can be a little abstract, if you can sum it up, it'll, it'll help you complete all the steps. So what I would say to sum it up in a single sentence, we must draw strength and courage from God's presence. God's presence gives us strength and courage. We must remember, we must reflect, we must dwell and remember where God's presence is. In doing so, we must be responsive to God's word, meditating on it constantly so that we learn who God is and how he acts so we can live our faith. In other words, we must begin to understand God's story, who he is and what he's like. So if God were to show up in your shoes this week, how would he live? What would he choose to do? If you're going to hang drywall? If you're going to move? If you're going to teach some students? If you're going to care well for some elderly parents? Regardless of what you are going to do this week, if God were to show up in your shoes, how might he do it? How might he live? How might he act? What might his attitude be? And be reminded that as we show up, those who have trusted and followed Jesus, where we show up, we bring God's presence because God's presence is within us. And that leads me to step four. How does this principle fit with the rest of Scripture? Consult the biblical map. See, the rest of the Bible constantly affirms that God's people can draw strength and courage from his presence. And in the New Testament, believers experience God's presence through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit rather than through his presence in the tabernacle. We bring God's presence with us. We don't have to go to a place to encounter God's presence. And we must cultivate that. We must walk with God in that. Which means that wherever we show up, however we show up, we should pay close attention to the scripture and the spirit so that we can be responsive to God where we live, work, and play. Missiologist Leslie Newbegin once wrote, the Bible is the way in which we come to know God because we don't know a person except by knowing his or her story. In a world of choice, where there's a lot of stories to impact, where there's a lot of information to impact, may we choose to get to know God's story. Because in this way, Scripture is the journey, but a life transformed into more Christ-likeness is the destination. And if we are not careful, our pursuit of knowledge and understanding, reciting facts can easily lead us down a path of misguided intellectual assent. If we are unaware, we can fall into the trap of just simply espousing, hey, I know how many times Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho. Or, hey, it says be strong and courageous twice in this passage. Look, I knew that off the top of my head. And we can say simple facts about what we read without being transformed by what we read. We must 
become who Christ is transforming us to be based on what he has done and what he is calling us to become. See, we can easily find ourselves in hot pursuit of Bible mastery, but a Scott McKnight reminder, God did not give us the Bible so we could master him or it. God gave us the Bible so we could live it, so we could be mastered by it. And the moment we think we've mastered it, we have failed to be readers of the Bible. Reading the Bible will result in being mastered by it, not the other way around. This is the incredible paradox of Scripture, which exists because the books of the Bible aren't just ordinary books. Unlike the wonderful yet inanimate objects filling our libraries and bookstores, the books of the Bible are alive in ways that no other books in history are or ever will be. This is both a claim and a promise that the text itself makes. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. See, how does this principle, the presence of God through his word, soaking in the scripture and the spirit, fit into the rest of scripture, we are able to be transformed by it. And then step five, in light of this, how then should we respond? How should we then live? Now, usually when I write a teaching and I stand up here and we look at a passage of scripture, I like to give us some very practical responses. Here's what this might look like for our church community and for you. But today, I'm actually not going to do that, even though I have, a, I have a list right here. The reason why is because I want you to put this into practice. I want you to soak in Scripture this week. Maybe read Joshua 1, 1 through 9. And then ask God, how should I live in light of this? How should I then respond? Can I just pull out, be strong and courageous and apply it to anything or everything? Or should I need to be reminded that where I go, you are with me. And then respond to that, however he leads. Because I think if we do that, and if we do that well, not just as individuals, but as a church community, the presence of God will be felt in our community. People won't, can't help but experience God through you. And that is the hope. That is the vision. See, to read the Bible as anything less than a, a transforming encounter, a story that washes over us and shapes us, is like swimming in the shallow end of a pool. We can splash around and feel just fine for a while, but at some point, we're going to be thrown into the deep end. There are people in your life who feel like they're drowning. They're in the deep end, and they're desperate and longing for someone to show up with the presence and the power of God within them and simply be there and remind them that they are not alone, that they haven't been forgotten, and God is with them and can be for them. And then as you, they encounter you with that and become aware of who God says they are and who God is, they then can respond to that beautiful, wonderful message. In her book, Reclaiming Conversation, Sherry Turkle writes, 
technology and chance. It makes us forget what we know about life. The new, any old new, becomes confused with progress. But in our eagerness, we forget our responsibility to the new, to the generations that follow us. See, it is for us to pass on the most precious thing we know how to do, talking to the next generation about our experiences, our history. Talking to the next generation. Talking to generations present and future. But the wonderful history, the wonderful story of a God who loved them, who stepped out of heaven and gave up his life for them and resurrected with amazing, wonderful power. And that power and that presence is available today. See, passing the faith on to the next generation isn't easy or convenient. It requires sacrifice. It requires a choice to step out of the shallow and into the deep. To choose again and again to focus on compassion and patience. It's often a slow work. But as I hope you've seen, the Bible, much like a great stew, is best experienced and engaged slowly with others. The depth, the richness, the complexities of our faith are only revealed adequately over time. And this is to our advantage as we think about passing on this faith to the next generation. See, when the world says speed up, when the world says go to what's next, when the world says go faster, may we be people who slow down with the scripture and the stew. May we be people who slow down with God so that we can experience and encounter his presence and that we can slow down with others. And when we do that, faith will be passed on. The story of God will be transformed. And lives will go to maybe just shallow. How are you? How's the weather? I know the facts to lives and encounters that have truly transformed. And that's our hope. The people loving presence of God. God, you are good. And you are present here. And my prayer is simply that we respond to your word this week. God, as, as I try to give some practical tools, as I, as I try to, to provide some, just some quotes and some of the science behind it, God, I just know at the end of the day, God, your promise for Joshua, for, for the Israelite people, God, still same true for us today. Your presence is here. We don't have to search it out or play hide and seek with it. God, we can simply be found by you, be found in you. Make that known to others, God. So thank you. You did not leave us. You did not forsake us, God, but you are present with us. Thank you for that hope and for that promise. May we be people who live that out. In Jesus' name I pray.